Okay, welcome to Sheffield Board Gamers podcast. This is episode 25. I'm joined today by Tom Lovell. Hello, Tom. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? Hello, I'm good, thank you. I'm not bad. Uh, we've got. Um, we're going to talk about a few games that we've been playing recently. So this is a podcast about board games and uh, playing them. Uh, so we're going to have a chat about that. Our question of the week is uh, games that are suitable for uh, presents. So uh, do you choose games gifts? If so, how do you choose which games to uh, to pick for people? Uh, but before that, we've got a bit of uh, bit of news. There's a new game being released. Uh, this is a game called Unfathomable, mm-hmm. uh, and this is uh, Battlestar Galactica, but being rethemed to uh, like a Cthulhu theme. Uh, so this is one that uh, people always recommend and say, you know, it's a really good game, but it's been out of print for quite a while because of the license and everything. I think not long ago, a few months ago, there was a, a sudden news release where you know we've got this game and it's ready to go and it's unfathomable. It's a reskin of. Battlestar Galactica. Um, Don't tell my wallet. <laughs> wanted Battlestar Galactica and I didn't get it. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. My, my ears are peaked. My wallet is cowering. That <laughs> is covering almost everything I'd want. Yeah, it's um, it, it, you can get the original game, but obviously only on the second-hand market, and it is quite expensive. Um, and if you really, really want that Battlestar Galactica theme, then yeah, it's not probably going to be suitable. But if you're not, if you're not too worried about the theme, I think I think it's published by Fantasy Flight, so no doubt there'll be plenty of expansions. And I'm not sure what the game entails, what the differences are between the previous game and this one. I'm sure they'll they'll be slightly streamlined and things like that, and more organic. Um, a few, I think. Yeah, a few differences, but it looks quite cool. So uh, yeah, like I say, a few people in the club have got it, so I look forward to playing it playing it quite soon and seeing what that's like mm. well i look forward to your report back yeah yeah <laughs> the, the other thing that i saw there's um, a game on kickstarter called dog park um so this is um a game that is which has been designed in the uk uh, there's a couple of people uh, who do like video reviews and things like that they've designed the game uh, and it's um it's a little bit it looks a little bit like wingspan uh, but instead of birds on the cards you've got different breeds of dogs so if you're a dog lover if you like animals then it, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna really appeal to you it's it's, it's funded already it's um i think the kickstarter's going still going currently i don't know if it'll still be going when the podcast releases but it looks a really cool game it looks really nice um and uh, maybe uh, like I say our question of the week is a gift for uh, some of a Christmas or pres- uh, birthday is something it might be a good gift for an animal lover perhaps in your family yeah it looks definitely looks good if you are um, having just gone to the Kickstarter page it funded um, so a couple of weeks ago it hit its funding goal so you can now pre-order it oh it has funded so, yeah yes it, yeah uh, I don't know if it's coming out to retail as well I guess we'll have to we'll have to wait and see but um it took nearly 300,000 with 7,000 backers. I would guess with that kind of number, they would um, have enough. So this is from Birdwood Games. Um, I know, so it's Warwick, Birdwood Game in Warwickshire. It looks as if this could be their only one so far. It is very... Interesting. Yeah, the uh, the artwork is the thing that caught my eye because um, Wingspan, obviously, it's, it's really good artwork. Um, Beth Sobel, I think, is the artist on that one. There's three ladies. So Beth Sobel is one of the three on Kings on um, Wingspan. Well, what's good is if it's 
Um, I've seen the designer diary, so it's, it says Lottie. I think there's it's Lottie Hazel and Jack Hazel. So uh, okay, siblings yeah. or yeah. husband and wife, one would assume one of those two. If they're listening to this, please don't tell me after getting it wrong if I've got <laughs> guessed incorrectly. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the, I think the theme is uh, you're in a dog park and you've got like a dog walker meeple uh, and you're taking your dog for a walk and there's like points for collecting different sets of cards and things. But all, all the cards have these really good uh, really good illustrations of the bre- different breeds of dogs on there. So, Yeah, well, having just had a quick skim through as well, whereas you had those little wooden egg as, eggs as tokens from Wingspan, you've got different wooden tokens for this. So you've got... Mm. Um, You've got um, a stick, you've got a ball, you've got um, a sort of bone, and you've got, I think, a squeaky toy. Um, and also you've got um, four different dog sort of meeples. Doggy pools? I don't know. What, what is the meeple name of a dog? <laughs> Good question. Whatever one of those is, that's what they've got. Doggles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, so it looks really good. So yeah, if you want to if you want to have a look at that, yeah, I'm sure it'll be available for um, uh, for pre-order still. If you want to look on the web Kickstarter page, but uh, yeah, it looks quite cool. Uh, I think there are some videos as well. If you have a look on YouTube, there are some videos with like playthroughs and uh, like unboxings of the components and things like that, and they show you a bit more of the artwork. So and it's also on Tabletopia for free. But, um, oh, cool. That's... Yeah, yeah. So I can actually play the game there. Yes, we're going back. Not not my thing, dogs, but uh, still my dental <laughs> wallet. So that's uh, that, that's a couple of games that I've uh, I've seen recently. So shall we go on to the uh, games that we've actually played? Sounds like a good plan. So the first one for me is an exit game. Uh, so I've probably talked about these before: the puzzle games, the escape room uh, style games, where you solve yeah. puzzles and there's a timer and you've got like a certain amount to uh, uh, to complete the puzzle and, and escape. Uh, this is a slightly different one. This is a new one called The Sacred Temple. Uh, and I think there's a lighthouse one as well. This is one that has jigsaw puzzles in it. So it's a typical exit, exit game. There are uh, puzzles in there to solve. Uh, and usually you have a book, uh, like a booklet type thing with um, you know, the location on where you are. And then you look at the, look at the um, cards to, to figure out the puzzles. But in this one, it's all contained on a, on a jigsaw. So the first thing you need to do is kind of build the jigsaw and uh, get the first location. There are four jigsaws in the pack, and they are, I think it's 100 pieces each. So they're not like massive uh, jigsaws. It's not going to take you a, a long time to do it, but it probably t- will take you 20 minutes, half an hour or something to complete each one. Mm-hmm. Uh, apart from that, it's pretty much an exit game. So you, um, I don't want to go into spoilers, but there are, there are puzzles in there that actually use the jigsaw pieces. Um, there's the usual ones like puzzle solving, uh, there's riddles, you know, there's um, codes and things you have to crack. There, there is one, uh, again, without any spoilers, there is one of those annoying uh, puzzles where you have to kind of look outside, outside of the actual game to find out what the answer is. Um, so, uh, Isn't that a defeat part of the object? That... Yeah, yeah, it's slightly... Slightly annoying, that one. <laughs> but um, it, it, it's rated... They actually have a... Uh, like a difficulty on the cover and it's rated a two out of five this one so it's uh, one of the easier ones uh, and i would say the difficulty is pretty pretty easy i mean it's uh, me and tracy played it we kind of you're supposed to do it like the other ones and put it onto a timer and play it you know in a certain time it says on board game geek it takes between 90 and 180 minutes 
whereas the normal exit games are 60 minutes, uh, maybe a little bit over if you you know take time over it. So obviously we're doing the jigsaw puzzles that just takes up a big chunk of time anyway. So what we did is we just laid it out on the table and spread it out over a few days. Right. Uh, we didn't like do it all in one go. So we'd you know we'd come in, do a bit of the jigsaw, find out all the edges, you know, and then go away, come back again another day, fill it all in, and then do a couple of puzzles, and then start on the next jigsaw. So it, uh, yeah, we we played it like that without the timer really. But you can play it all in one sitting. Just be aware that it takes. It's probably going to take you two or three hours to to finish with if you're doing all the jigsaws as well. Do you need to have all four jigsaws made at the same time, or do you just need one? No. Okay. No, just one at a time. Yeah. So as soon as you've finished one, you can put that one away, and then you start on the next one. Then uh, they don't link to each other. Do it sort of episodic. So the Monday night episode is jigsaw one, and do the puzzles and put it yeah, away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds. Cool. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was a good. Um, the other thing I've mentioned as well is that um, obviously with, it's, with it being an exit one, it's the ones where you destroy some of the components. So some of the stuff in the box you do, you know, it's unrecoverable. You have to tear it up and cut it up and things like that. So you do, it, it can't be played again. You can't pass it on to somebody else. And kind of throwing away the jigsaws. Oh, so it's a completely, so it's a legacy puzzle game. Yeah, yeah. So throw, throwing away the jigsaws right. feels a bit worse than, you know, if you've just done an, uh, the exit game, there's a few cards in there that you've cut up or something. It, it feels a bit... There's more stuff in this, if you see what I mean, but it's all cardboard anyway, so it's all recyclable. There's no plastic or anything in there. It just went in the recycling. But if you don't like games that are kind of disposable on one play, this is probably more... It makes you more aware of that, if you see what I mean, because you're throwing away, like, four jigsaw puzzles. I suppose you could keep them if you wanted and do them, you know, do them again for fun. Yeah, but that does seem almost... I was going to say, well, I know that you can't play it a second time, but almost if you had a... An element of here is a little pouch where mm. all the things you had to cut up you get back again, so at least you can pass it to someone else to mm. try. Would that solve that issue? Would you say no? Because kind of the puzzle is is knowing where to cut and what to cut up and what to you know put in the pouch. So if you knew if you've got the pouch, that's kind of you know that's the puzzle solved for you. Oh uh, right, so it's the entire puzzle gets wow. Yeah, parts okay. of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's not really. Yeah, recoverable. <laughs> so it's yeah, yeah. It's a, it is a one-player thing only. It's um, yeah, you can only play it once, and then uh, uh, even if you you know you wanted to keep it and do it again later on, you'd you'd have, I don't think you'd be able to do it. But yeah, we 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 enjoyed it. We played it through. It was really good. We uh, we liked the puzzles. Like I said, there's one slightly annoying one in there, but the rest of them were pretty good. And uh, yeah, we really enjoyed the enjoyed the playthrough of it. So. Um, if you fancy uh, trying uh, an exit one, but you don't mind spending a bit of time on it, then it's a good one. Exit Sacred Temple, that is. It certainly seems interesting, and as, as you said, being able to do it sort of episodic might actually extend the the enjoyment out of it, as it's a once three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what have you been playing? Well, I've been involved in a bit of a um, board game swap with people at school. And oh, okay. So... Um, I've lent um, ghost stories to a colleague, and she lent me a copy of Forbidden Island, which we've been playing at home. Mm-hmm. So this is um, by Matt Leacock, um, who people probably recognise from um, Pandemic. I think mm-hmm. this came out before Pandemic. I'm not sure. 
but it it is very much you versus the game and if you've played pandemic you can definitely see similarities Hmm. in um the mechanics it's a really nice game so played it with the family and played it at sort of you're not novice just basic level difficulty and we did manage at that difficulty first time round to succeed uh, my wife and my son were both saying oh we don't know if we can play at this difficulty next time and i went look we can try because we literally <laughs> succeeded by the skin of our teeth we managed to collect all the treasure and escape and literally just as we went the island would have disappeared completely beneath us um <laughs> So in that respect, it does, it has that kind of connect with you, with the way in which there was that mm. little bit of anxiety, that more feeling, more connecting to the game by playing it. And neither um, of them have played Pandemic. Who only knows what's going to happen if they play something with that bit more anxiety. Oh no, we're going to get <laughs> the diseases take us over. Not yeah. that we know what happens with that. Um, <laughs> but with this, it it's simple enough that my eight-year-old can play it, understand what it was doing, um, and we could start working out different strategies and ways to play. You could get dominated by someone quarterbacking and being the alpha gamer, but if they're very careful, they don't need to. Yeah, it, it's a really tight little game, plays in under half an hour, um, and I think... The first time we took longer than that because we didn't know what we were doing. Second mm. time round, it was much closer to that. And yeah, very, very tight. Um, so yeah, I haven't even talked about how it plays. Yeah. So the principle is you've turned up into an island and it's a kind of like a cross-shaped island with something like 30-odd cards or 34 cards. I can't remember the precise number. And each turn you can do two actions and then you see which islands are sinking a little bit. Now, your mm. actions can be moving or getting some treasure or shoring up an island section. But if an island section gets flooded and then gets turned over again, it disappears completely and it's under the water and can't be rescued. So you're always trying to work out which sections you've got to shore up and which ones you can kind of let slide. Um, mm. But yeah. You know, slick gameplay, not going to cause you too much brain busting, but enough um, for sort of a quick little game in an afternoon. And and I was impressed with it. Do the characters have like different abilities like in Pandemic? Do you have like a special you action that you can do or a special characters. ability? The first time we played, yes, um, they've all got different abilities. So you've got, I think there's the Navigator, there's um, the explorer you've got the engineer they all mm. enable you to different do different things so some enables you to move a different person you've got the helicopter pilot which can move from one location to anywhere on the island once per turn so if you work well with each other mm. great um first it does say shuffle the um character cards or the roll cards I've forgotten their precise name and choose it that way. The first time we played, we just went, oh, I like this colour. Because we didn't know what they were doing, so it was sufficiently random to go, oh, yeah, Emily, you always go blue, so she's taken blue. My son took a different yellow, because he liked yellow, and did it that way, and yeah. it worked, because it was sufficiently random, not knowing what we were doing. And and um, your son, is he okay playing cooperative games? Would he be rather... Would he rather play something where he's attacking and stuff like that? Or does he like, yeah, does he like that kind of thing? No, he's happy playing cooperative games. He's got 
Um, we play so many different things. So we've got zombie kids and zombie teens. And so those are both co-op games and they're his. Um, we've got as a family game um, stuff, fables. And so, yeah, mm. they, those involve a bit more attacking and this isn't. Um, but there's a number of different co-op games we've played. Um, I've played with him um, Sense of Ghosts by... Oh, yeah. um, which is a lot, hmm. which is close to this in some respects. That there's a lot more puzzle involved, hmm. rather than sort of you've got creatures coming along and you're beating them up. I think the zombie kids and zombie teens do have a puzzle element a lot more than stuffed fables, but it's not a completely new thing to him, and so that I think helps. But um, my colleague has got a couple of eight-year-olds as well, and sh- so she's been playing with them, and so clearly it is something that works nicely for little people. Or little-ish. I shouldn't call him a little person anymore. He's, um, he's approaching five foot. Oh, is it? Should stop feeding him. Um, getting back to the point, it is it is a really solid family yeah. game. I w- I would recommend it. It's not too expensive. It's got a great, you know, it sounds silly, but it's a nice box. It doesn't feel too big it's a little bit gratuitously mm. big but not dreadfully so is it coming in a tin um, like the desert one but it's a metal it's a big metal tin and um but it all fits in nicely and yeah just has got a good presence on the shelf but also when you can take it out so where it is ranked on uh, board game geek is probably yeah. fair um so what else have you been playing then rick okay the uh, the other game that i've played recently uh, is a game called so clover so this is a kind of word puzzle game where you get a plastic clover piece. A bit hard to describe, but if you Google it, you'll be able to see it. It's a plastic piece that's split up into, into four sections, and you have four square cards that are dealt out from a deck. And each card has like a word written on the edge of it. So um, what you do is you put these four cards into a into your, into your plastic clover, and it forms like a square. And then on the outside edge, you've got two words on each edge. And what you have to do is you have to write on the clover a clue that links those two words together. Uh, once you've done that, you take the cards off, and the clues are written on the clover. Then they're still written on the uh, on the plastic board. So you take the clue cards off. You take another one from the deck, like a random one, shuffle it in. The other players have to kind of guess what orientation the cards were, matching up the clues uh, that are still written on the clover to what the words are on the cards. So, like for example, if you've got shed and turnip, you might r- write the word garden, for example. And that's it. That's the game. <laughs> it's um, it, it's not much of a game, really. It's more of an activity. It's kind of, it's a cooperative game. There's no um, there's no competitive uh, element to it, and you score points depending on how many guesses it takes you to get the correct orientation for all the cards, uh, putting them back into the clover in the right orientation so that the the words match up. Uh, because it can be quite difficult. Sometimes you'll get two words on an edge that don't correlate to each other. They've, there's nothing that links them together. Uh, you try and have to think of a clue that will link those two cards so that um, you know the people that are guessing can find out where it is. And sometimes you can only put you know one. You can give a clue for one of the c- words, but then the other word doesn't is only like really <laughs> tenuously linked to that. So. You also have to take into account the words that are in the centre of the cards as well that aren't being used because sometimes you might have garden on one edge and you might have flower on like the opposite edge. So if you're writing, you know, garden shed or something, it's, it's not, it, it could potentially throw people off and they'll get the wrong orientation on the cards. Uh, so that's it. You take the cards off, shuffle them up. Uh, people will, you know, have a discussion and work out where they think the cards should sit on your board. 
uh, and then you get points depending on whether you, how many you've got right or wrong. Any wrong ones you take off and you can have another go at orienting them differently. Uh, and that's it. You get a, a few points at the end, uh, depending on how how, uh, how you know how many guesses it takes you to do it. So um, that's pretty much it. It's it's very similar to um, just one, which we've talked about previously. It so- it sounds. It looks as if it's kind of what would happen if you took code names and just one and mated them together. Um, yeah, yeah. It does have that be, feel. Yeah, but it, it looks good. Um, it does feel a smidgen as if they've kind of gone, well, clover and clever as the... Yeah, um, it's kind of a pun, but it does, it's not really. It doesn't really... <laughs> so clever. Uh, clever, but yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird name. But uh, yeah, the uh, the components are pretty good. The um, the plastic uh, clovers are, are quite impressive when you've got them in your hands and they work well. You, you've got dry erase markers in the box mm-hmm. so you just how what are the clue cards like they're, yeah they're fine they're like square cards and they've got like a hole punch in the middle so that you can put them you know they'll fit nicely on the uh, on the plastic so, piece so you reckon that yeah. they'll last a good few plays yeah oh yeah yeah they're good i can imagine yeah, they're nice thick quality they're good it was just that bit that maybe that if they're not such good quality that after a few times going on the center they'd get a bit worn but it's no, no, they're absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, and you get quite a stack of them as well. You get quite a lot with um, with all the different words on. Obviously, they're four four words on every card. So a fistful of clover cards. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was good fun. Um, it is really short. It takes um, thirty minutes to play. Take plays between three and six players, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's quick. It's fun. It's uh, a good quick game. So if you like code names or if you like those kind of word association games. After a quick filler, I think this would be a good one for like family style games. If you're playing with your family, it's really easy to kind of understand. You know, once you've played it around, you you, you understand it and it, it all makes sense. Um, so it's a good, yeah, a good yeah. family game, yeah. nice and quick, good fun. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I think it is. I, they, I I always have a difficulty with word games and with families because unfortunately, you get to a point where there's an element of the word associations and links you get when you just get that little bit mm. older. And so it, I think it struggled, you know, this might've been from something having sort of younger and older siblings and things when mm. I was growing up, but sometimes you've got the parents knowing words and the kids just mm. going, I just haven't got there. Um, and so I think that's the one unfortunate drawback. Yeah. That, until you hit a certain age, your just word experience, for about want of a better word, isn't as great. Once you've hit that sort of point of you've got a bank of words and knowledge and associations behind you, your reading levels up to a certain point, it probably becomes a lot easier. Yeah, you'd, for you'd you. probably want to play it with people of kind of a similar skill level. So, like, if you've got like a load of kids together playing it, they'd yeah. probably be okay, or a load of adults playing it. But if you've got one one younger person perhaps who's yeah not as good uh, on that side of it, it, it you you're obviously not going to get a higher score but it doesn't really matter anyway you know it's still fun to play it's, it because it's cooperative uh it's still mm-hmm. it's still going to be an experience so yeah yeah and that's half the important point yeah isn't it? yeah so oh no it looks but, yeah it's good fun yeah it's good and and it, it gives you that chance to be um, really clever with your clues as well when you're linking them together so, like, I think it's something you'll probably get better with as you play more of the game as well. So the first couple of times you play it, it's probably going to be quite difficult, you know, to to think of a clue for, t- uh, for the two words that you're trying to 
uh, trying to get people to guess. But as you get, as as you play it a bit more, you know, you'll get a bit more, uh, a bit more experience and a bit more competent with, with that. Your... Yeah, exactly. And um, it'll it'll be a little bit easier. But yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it certainly looks like something I'll keep an eye on. And it's by Repos, which are always mm. always good quality from them. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I'm going to go back into my school experience. So. Whilst I personally haven't played this hmm. game, um, this is what, what um, I purchased for school for the A-level physics students to play, and it's called Subatomic, an atom-building game by Genius mm-hmm. Games. And so I spoke to my boss and said, look, there are some science based games, by Genius Games in particular, that I thought would be useful for either helping learning a particular subject or for on the occasion where... A bunch of kids are away for a Duke of Edinburgh expedition or a match or whatever, and we've got, instead of having a full class, we have a handful. And this was one of them. And in terms of quality, you know, it's got a good design, um, you know, decent enough artwork. Um, at the end of the day, you are making elements, you're making atoms, so helium, boron, beryllium from putting together protons and neutrons and electrons, and you're making the protons and neutrons and electrons by either combining up two up quarks and a down quark to make um, your proton, or two down quarks and an up quark to make your neutron, and two photons for the electron. And when I bought it, I thought, this will be a great educational resource. Mm. And it is and it isn't. <laughs> um, it is a solid deck-building game. Gameplay-wise, actually, there's nothing bad with it it's like dominion it's like legendary it is I've, i'd like to say clank but i've not played it um but it is of those principles mm. you start off with a deck of 11 cards you draw five and you can make um your protons your neutrons or electrons or you can exchange them for a proton card or an electron card and things mm. The A-level teacher has found it useful because now her A-level class have definitely got baked into their brain two up quarks and a down quark is a proton and two down quarks plus an up (laughs) is a neutron. Mm -hmm. But that was about it. A lot of the other strategy Uh, is all about deck building. Um, So you can, as I said, get um, new cards by spending them same way as you normally would in a deck builder. And you can get rid of them by spending energy. You can exchange your cards for energy and other things. So lots of different things you can do to build your um, atoms and get the different elements. Um, you've got different physicists. So you've got Niles Bohr. You've got um, Marie Curie. Um, you've got Einstein. You've got Edwin Schrödinger. And they all give you different um abilities in the game unfortunately there is nothing to do with what the scientists historical um discoveries theories etc to do with mechanics Mm. you know albert einstein if you have him in your hand you can um spend energy for a particular component to your um atom so you can say i can spend one two or three energy and if i spend three i can say get two neutrons and a proton or whatever i want it's it doesn't bear any resemblance to what einstein is famous for 
Yeah. And yeah. and other than a name, they have no they've got no educational value, and and that is unfortunately mm-hmm. my one criticism with it. Um, we've got cytosis and um, other genius games which look like they have much more educational value by playing them. Mm. There is a nice little booklet inside which says, this is the science behind the game, which is great. Mm. And the other advantage that um, the teacher has found is actually the kids enjoyed it. And so it is now a nice little carrot, which is, look, you behave yourself and we get through the topic and you do well then instead of other bits maybe a double lesson at the end of term you can play this game yeah and so in that respect it's great it has got something things and also let's be fair it does get them to use their brain it does get them thinking about things so it's not totally devoid of merit just what I wanted it to do, which was, here's a little bit more of the physics, like cytosis does a lot better for biology. Hmm. It doesn't quite hit those buttons, really. But it is a good game. I would recommend buying it, I'd recommend Hmm. playing it, and I'd recommend reading through the background and going, aha, this is the science background. It's just not quite as much learning as I'd hope by playing it, but it is still a solid game and I would recommend playing it. That, that sounds like a backhanded compliment, doesn't it? <laughs> it does a little bit, but yeah, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I think that might be the case with a few of these, these kind of games. So, but when, once I've um, unleashed Cytosis on the biology students, we'll be able to compare one of their other games to it. As I said, it's, got good bits and it is a good game yeah it just misses a few bits on i wish that you could have learned a bit more science by playing it yeah but that's because i'm being picky because that's part of the reason why i bought it right now i do apologize rick okay Um, the other game that i've been (laughs) involved in playing teaching is at the school um games club mm-hmm. so every thursday um i help run a, a games club at school for approximately an hour or so and last year one of the popular games was warhammer Forty Thousand kill team and over the summer games mm-hmm. workshop were saying were releasing all the information saying version two out end of august so end of august comes and i pre-ordered and um got the new box set of Warhammer 40,000 Kill Team Octarius box set and the compendium to be able to play all the different um, factions of which we've got models already at school. It is an interesting product. It, it, it is n- it's not a cheap... Um, in total, I think we spent 145 quid for the boxed set and compendium. Um, all you need is the box set to play and it is literally a board game because there are boards at the bottom which you put your terrain on mm. and everything goes on the board so it is by sheer definition it is a board game Yeah. Um, you've got Games Workshop models I, you know, they claim to be the Ferrari of plastic miniatures and I cannot mm. disagree with them yes there might be Lamborghinis and other supercar models out there but in terms of detail, in terms of 
overall look, their models are generally high um, value. You know, their plastic models are nice. You, um, so there's plenty of scenery in there that you can put into different configurations. You've got um, 10 Orc models and 10 uh, veteran Imperial Guards, so the Death Corps of Krieg. You can give them different weapon options and they look nice. And if you're any good at painting, which I'm only moderate at, you can make them look beautiful. So in that respect, the money that you're spending on the plastic is good. Mm. Um, you've got um, a rule book, you've got a bunch of components in there, and you know they are solid cardboard tokens. Probably with the amount that you're using them, might be able to have a slightly better, more durable quality. Mm. But at the end of the day, they are good, and there's only so much you can do with cardboard tokens. So what you get in the box in that respect is good. The rule book... In terms of production value, you've got plenty. You've got, a, at the start, a bit of the background. Um, it looks nice. It has got good design value mm. in that respect. But there are issues. Okay. Um, <laughs> here it comes. Right, I'm ready. Oh, here it comes, yeah. <laughs> so, so we've got, a, you know, for the school, we've got um, Tyranids, we've got your standard Imperial Guard, we've got Space Marines, we've got Necrons, we've got the Skitari for the Adeptus Mechanicus, we've got a range of... So is that, is that a team? Is, pick. It, so got it, all is like, basically, there's loads of different factions, yeah. and we've got about 8 to 10 at school anyway, so we went right. and spent an extra 25 quid yeah. on the compendium. So, if you had everything, models, scenery, beforehand, and and you wanted to play this game, hmm. you'd be dropping near enough 50 quid on just the rule book and just the compendium in order to play, assuming you had everything hmm. else. And previously, you could just pick up the core book, so they've split things up already into core book and compendium. Hmm. Um, but when you get into things, it's starts to fall apart. Um, the rule book doesn't seem like they had an overall editor in there. There are bits that are great. So at the end, you've got a glossary of terms for all the different special things that weapons do. And it, it is put together really mm -hmm. nicely. It is clear where everything is. It's in a sensible bit at the back. But it's not a thin book, not a thick book. But there's so many gaps. If you look back at other Games Workshop books from the past, hmm. this has not been economical with space. It's just gone, no, people will buy our product, so we can just fit in the rule, cool rules, and we can have big margins and everything, and make it hmm. nice and spaced out, which you could have fit more content in there. The rules have problems. It is not easy to understand. There are certain, you know, um, uh -huh. and the critical thing is from before... And everyone who's really done miniature games generally understands that you measure either in centimetres or inches. Mm -hmm. Games Workshop made a design decision, which was what we're going to do is to simplify things. We are going to move from instead of a six-inch move or a two-inch range or whatever, no, we're going to do away with that. It's not a six-inch move. It's a three-circle move because they've got a nice mm. measuring thing which has gone, and they said, right, we're not going to call it one inch anymore. We're going to call it 
black triangle. We're not going to call it two inches. We're going to call it white circle. It's not three inches. It's blue square. And it's not six inches. It's red pentagon. Now, that just takes you time to go, right, I can see a black triangle. What does that mean? Oh, triangle, that means three. No, it doesn't. It means one. Um, square, that means, oh, does not compute. Um, six inches, it's a five-sided. <laughs> and something simple where they could have gone, right, tell you what, circle will work nicely for one because everyone mm. sees that as kind of one edge. Triangle, we can bung in for three. Hexagon for six. Square is a bit of a fudge, but probably two people will be on board mostly or even you can do um a crescent mm. and they haven't they've they've just thrown the symbols in and not even thought about that um you've got a page of line of sight rules which are a little bit confusing but whereas most of the pages are gray and the color for this one and it's a key set of rules you've got a black triangle on a black background. Oh, be oh. jove, is that <laughs> difficult to spot. That's terrible, yeah, yeah. So you've got certain things where you're just going, come on. If you <laughs> sit as one inch, you've got your nice white text on a black background, fine, people can understand that. So they've done just some of those decisions which seem stupid. Um, <laughs> and, and that's that element. Um, I'm going to go back to a bit of the good now. Um, you've okay. got a, a more narrative play. You've got missions there, which it's a case of you've got ways to randomly choose what missions you're doing. Hmm. And actually, that gives a lot more depth of gameplay. Your choice of units are much better now, whereas before you could choose a few of this and a few of that. And to have a competitive squad, you'd probably want to buy three or four different individual boxes for one or two models so in that respect you can just say right i want to get a set of space marines i buy one box rather than mm. i want to run a space marine kill team i want a couple of these dudes which is one box a couple of these dudes which is one box a couple of these dudes which is one box mm. so that's good unfortunately um some of them are a bit too vanilla and if you compare what you get in the Octarius box, you get Imperial Guard and Orcs. Mm. But the special Imperial Guard team and the special Orc team are by far and away more competitive than their equivalents in the compendium. So every so what's going to happen is you'll have people who play the Tau faction, for example, and mm. they'll be happy at the moment because they've got the compendium and can play with their Tau faction. Mm. But coming out in about a month's time, is the special kill team Tau set. And you can bet your bottom dollar there is going to be the special Tau kill team, and that is going to be more competitive than the Compendium vanilla version. And so all the good that Games Workshop have done, which is you only need to probably buy one box to get the models, it's now going to be a case of, well, actually, if you've already got them, it doesn't matter because you're going to want to buy the new rules because they are better. And so you're going to see, I suspect, what was previously known as Codex Creep, the new thing on the scene is the most powerful, will happen mm. again with Kilting. Mm. And it annoys yeah, me as Yeah, that's a bit of a player. shame. You, you, want the, uh, yeah, you want them to be balanced, don't you, and, and competitive against each other. But if that's not going to happen, you then... You like things... Exactly. Just to mm. be able to say... 
it's balanced, you can go somewhere. You know, it's not that they're bad, hmm. it's just the case that I could take Imperial Guard, according to the compendium, and it would be decent. And it, and it is decent. Hmm. It is just a case of, whilst it's a little bit more complex with all the special options you've got, the Octarius Veteran Imperial Guard are better. And you just would not, if you wanted to play competitively, you would not take the compendium version. It it just isn't as competitive. Hmm. And that's the shame. Similarly with the orcs, you're in the compendium orcs are okay. Hmm. It's just what you get in the specialist squad are better. Hmm. Um, and that just annoys me. Um, uh, oh yes, and I forgot another key bit, which I should have said earlier. The other issue with the rule book, which is an issue of Games Workshop's own making, is in previously, and in lots of other games, you have a summary sheet. So you've got this big rule book, you've got X number of pages of rules, and mm. then they've condensed things down into one or two or even four pages at the back for quick reference. Mm. And they've got an index. Games Workshop have done that for their Warhammer games in their past, for Warhammer 40,000. It is something that they have done in the past. It is something that other manufacturers have done. So Spartan did it for um, Dystopian Wars. Um, you've got it in the back of War Machine Prime, for example, by Privateer Press. Mm. Um, you've got um, an index um, of terms for um, Fantasy Flight for X-Wing. It's there in so many tabletop miniatures games. Mm -hmm. Kill Team is crying out for a good summary sheet. And people have made mm -hmm. one them and shared them online because it's not in the book. Mm -hmm. And that is just folly from what should be an industry leader who have done it in the past as well. You'd mm. forgive a small independent, someone knew their first game, but this isn't. And so my summary of the game, it's, it's, a, it's a decent game. It's just trapped by a shoddy rule book, mm. um, some impenetrable rules at points, and some design decisions that are based more on money than actual um, gameplay, which sounds yeah. really harsh. Because yeah. I do like some of their products, but <laughs> yeah. it's just annoyed us. It, it does sound a bit of a shame. I think um, I think if you're playing with younger people as well, if you're like a really big fan of orcs and you've got your team and you're playing it each week, and you just keep getting beaten down and beaten down by people who've just got superior teams, it's, it's got to be off-putting that. Oh, it has. We it was, well, we do want to turn people away from it. Won't it, it? Is a dyed-in-the-wool orc player, and. For simplicity, mm. to learn the new thing, we went, we'll go with the compendium version. And it mm. just isn't, uh, it's just not as good. Mm. Um, compared to some of the other ones, it just has some issues. And the line of sight rules and what counts as concealed. And so you've got a new order structure where you have to give your dudes an order, whether they're engaging or concealed as to whether they can shoot, make uh, make attacks, and otherwise. That makes sense, but then to work out, so this person who's concealed, is he in cover, is he obscured, how do I work that out? They've 
recently released an errata and designer notes mm. and you and I kid you not you have got about two pages of designer notes to cover people understanding what they meant by what's in cover what's obscured and lines of sight and things like that and it almost proves the fact that maybe they needed to tighten up on the explanations and the rules for that so yeah Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to stop there because I could probably rant for another half an hour. <laughs> but if people message and say, please, Tom, we want you to vent your spleen about this for longer, it can be done. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll look forward to that then if we uh, if we get any of those messages. But yeah, it sounds a bit well, of a shame well, that then. If but, that uh, happens, yeah. I will record a conversation <laughs> with my colleague and, and, and we can just unfortunately tear into it and We've played it a little ourselves, but mainly we've been teaching kids how to play. And so, yeah, there's Mm. just the design decisions in there that have just caused us to pull what's left of our hair out. (laughs) Okay. Right. Uh, Any other games you want to talk about, or shall we move on to the... No, I'm going to calm down now. I'm going to take a sip of chamomile tea. Have a a sip of tea. uh, Take a deep breath. (laughs) We're going to move on now. Relax, please. Okay. (laughs) So the the question of the week that we've come up with this week is, how do you choose games as gifts? And if so, how do you choose which game? So uh, I'm just about to raise your stress levels. It's coming up to that time of year again, especially if you've got children. Yeah. And especially as there's so many reports on the news, which is uh, there might not be the range of toys, you know, go shopping sooner rather than later yeah. if you see it and want it get it yes yeah uh, if you um if you want to choose a game as a gift uh what, what would you choose and how how would you go about that so i guess, I guess the first question would be uh who, who's the person that you're buying the gift for do they, do they like games already or do they not play any games or what are the hobbies you know what are the hobbies and other interests they have the particular interest oh all well, that definitely has a big effect for me because I know that there's some people I could get games for where they would enjoy the game, Hmm. but because of who they're playing with, they'd just go, I really like the game, but unfortunately, the people I have to play against just won't play it. And so it will be a pretty thing in a nice box, sat on the shelf for (laughs) years and not see the light. And I think that's the other difficulty at points. Um, I've, you know, there's, the Dune game, for example, um, and I've heard great things about it. My brother has read all of the mm. Dune books. He is a massive Dune fan, and it is crying out, and mm. I want to buy him that for his birthday just after Christmas, and I never will, because he will not get that to the table with the people he gets to play games with. I think I think some games would be good as like a collector's edition, so you know, just something to show on your shelf or something to have... You know, to that the links it. I think some some people. I think that's why the Monopoly ones are quite popular. You know, like the the themed Monopoly ones, are, where it might be the Simpsons or, you know, whatever it is. If you're a fan of that, you know, that IP, whatever it is, X Men or whatever, mm-hmm. that's probably something that you'll never play. It's just something to have that you can add to your collection and sort of look, you know, uh, have available. Yes, um, and, and but a, a fifty a fifty pound or sixty pound get board game is probably a bit too expensive to do that for. Perhaps <laughs> this is the advantage you've got things like Monopoly. It's, I, I would generally go for if it is 
20, 25 pounds or under, I would be prepared to take a punt for someone I know and mm. go, you might like it, but if not, you're not going to feel devastated. But yes, if yeah. I was going to say, oh, um, I, th- I think Wingspan, something like um, 40 pounds or so, can't remember. Mm. Um, but uh, um, as I mentioned when we talked about it earlier on in the year, I bought it for my dad and stepmom for their birthday because I felt at least confident enough that the theme would interest them and it wasn't difficult, it wasn't hard enough. And I think that is where, whilst I'm not the biggest fan of Board Game Geek, actually, if you their um, weight rating is really helpful mm. because generally, if it goes too high on a weight rating... I wouldn't contemplate that for a gift for people unless I really knew them. Mm. Because generally, yeah. I think the higher the weight value is, you've got to have people who are more committed to playing a game and will be quite happy to spend several hours brain crunching. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Uh, looking at the weight of the games on BGG to find out how difficult or how hard they are. And, and like I said, tailor it to the person that you, they're buying their game for. Uh, I quite often see, you know, when you're out in department stores or things like that, like John Lewis or Debenhams, quite often they have like um, party games at this time of year, you know, like quiz games or, you know, games that require a bit of dexterity, throw rings or something like that. They have that kind of stuff, don't they? Yeah. Um, if you're if you're looking at something like we've discussed already, some of the party games that we talked about, either just one or so clover or some kind of dice game or something like that. Uh, even though they're not going to be more complicated than, than those kind of games, it's perhaps something that you can, you know, if you're going to be there on Christmas Day or New Year's Eve or something, you can show people how to play it, and then that might be something that comes out more regularly after the fact, after Christmas. What, what's your What's your thoughts on the knowledge games? For example, as you said, you've got Smiths, WH Smiths, Debenhams, etc. Um, John Lewis, um, where you do see those games which are test your movie knowledge or your golf mm. knowledge or your sports knowledge. Yeah. I tend to shy away from them because generally I feel you've got one or two people who it's their thing mm. and it can lead to other people feeling disheartened because they don't know that subject matter and other people going, oh, I, I like it, and then almost dominating winning so much. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that 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 is probably one of the problems that, more modern game solves is that is that disparity between your actual knowledge of something um for example a couple of years ago we played a friends quiz and tracy's a massive fan of friends she's watched it loads and loads of times and just by being you know in the same room i've i've seen quite a lot as well but if you've never seen friends before on tv then you know when you get asked these questions about phoebe's cat or whatever it is you're not going to know the answer so there is that disparity there, and, and I think that is the problem with a lot of these kind of quizzes where you just ask the sw- a straight question. The, there are some games that turn it into kind of a game show, yeah. so like uh, The Chase or something like that, where you just get fired questions out and you have to answer so many a certain amount of time. But again, that depends on your knowledge and your skill and maybe how old you are as well. If you're a little bit older, you might do a little bit better than somebody you know, who's a teenager or even younger, obviously, but... Uh, I think that's that is a bit of a problem. Um, one one of the games before uh, before I started, you know, playing more modern games. That one of the games that I liked was Trivial Pursuit, uh, and that's one of those type of games where you either know it or you don't. And the people that know a bit more stuff are going to, you know, win 
handily. <laughs> so, um, like one, one example, uh, one uh, good game that I've played is Timeline. Uh, yep. So this is a, a game where you've got dates on the back of the card. So you, you're trying to guess where in the timeline these um, events happened. It's either an invention or something you know historical happened on a particular date. But you don't actually need to know the exact date. You, ju- you just need to know if it's before or after any date, any cards that are already in the timeline. So that kind of takes away the having to memorise you know, facts and figures and things like that. You, anybody can sort of play it and guess where where the cards should go. So that's a good one, I think. Yeah. Um, well, one of my go-tos, what was it, about five, six years ago was Double or the equivalent specialist one. So mm. I bought for a friend's son, as I said, literally five, six years ago, the Star Wars Double. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just when Double was good, but you wouldn't pick it up off the shelves in Tesco and other places. Mm-hmm. And it's now hitting that element. Because I said to my brother, I said, oh, you know, your eldest, um, big into Harry Potter. She's reading through um, the series for the second time already. And I said, you know, there's the Harry Potter Double. Would you, would she like that for Christmas? And he went, probably not, because we've already got two Doubles. <laughs> and- you hit that element of and a bit like the monopoly as you said it gets that difficulty of actually if you played one double another double's not that different similarly yeah, yeah. if you have played the um ice cream monopoly it's not going to change much to the mario monopoly as yeah. standard monopoly really you've got some of the more quirky um, dare I say, cash inversions of Monopoly that will have variants in gameplay, but yeah, sort of the reskins. You do go, hmm. Yeah. Uh, what well, one other thing I thought about as well is um, for for the people who do play games, or if like somebody wanted to buy me a gift, not that I'm hinting or anything, but <laughs> on Amazon, Would you like Santa to bring you that ring? <laughs> well, on on Amazon, um, you can actually build your own list. You can build like a list of uh, you know a, a list of what stuff you that you want. Um, can yeah. you do similar like that for Board Game Geek? The only reason why I say that for Amazon is because Amazon you are limited mm. by what is available on Amazon, and not everybody is prepared to um, pay the amount to actually sell stuff on Amazon. Yeah, on Board Game Geek, you can create something called a geek list. Um, so basically, you create a list of, uh, of items on there, yeah, and um, you can link them to the marketplace as well. There's a marketplace on there where people sell the second-hand copies, so you can click on a link and it'll show you uh, how many copies are for sale and what countries they're available in. So you pick a country, you know, close to where you are, and it shows the shipping and everything on there, so that's pretty good, yeah. I'm just going to say it from my personal experience. I did have my games, so Vote Me and Six Gun Showdown, on Amazon. Hmm. But I've pulled them because I'm small, independent, not everybody knows who I am. I ended up spending more money having things on Amazon than I was actually bringing in. Oh, really? I admit it, that's partly because I hadn't fully worked out how to make it known enough. Hmm. But it is you've got to make that balance as to mm. how how easily identifiable it is so if you do like the quirky small things so i am just typing in um a few sm- a few of you know a few good um 
games um, <laughs> to see if I can find them. Um, but yeah, for example, um, Tranquility by Board Game Hub has generally has got a decent um, Board Game Geek rating. I think um, is not available through Amazon. It's got a Board Game Geek rank of two six five seven, so not too rubbish. An average rating of seven, so a solid game. Can't get it on Amazon, so I'd say uh, yeah. if you're going to go for games, I personally. This is the second time I'm going to say it in an evening. I'd recommend Board Game Geek over Amazon mm. because you've got that breadth on Board Game Geek for board games compared to places like Amazon. Yeah. And, and like you say, you've got the rating on there and the weight and things like that, so you can avoid avoid some of the duffers, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> and if you know if you know your uh, the person that you're buying for, their geek uh, their name on the on the board game geek, you can see their collection already in there as well. So you don't double up and get them something they've already got. So Rick Chief Dude in Sheffield, yeah. <laughs> and I can find you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. No, that's that that would sound like a good way to sort of send information to people and say this is the kind of thing that I like mm. or would like or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um anything else of excitement you've got coming up game wise, Mr. Rick? Um yes we have. We've got uh we've got the usual club uh dates coming up which is a tuesday and a first sunday of every month but we've also got um, a charity event as well which is going to be 21st of october uh, and also on the 28th of october so uh, dementia uk are doing like a, a fundraising appeal which is uh, which which we're going to be part of it's uh, raise your game it's called and it's like board games getting people to play it and stuff so uh, the club's organising a raffle, and there's going to be prizes, uh, things like that. We're going to play games with, you know, in the in the pub. Mm-hmm. Uh, invite people to play uh, a couple of games with us, make donations. Uh, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll make a bit of money for a good cause. So that's what we've got coming up in the next uh, week or two. So probably by the time we're next to a podcast, we'll let you know how we get on. Yeah, no, I, I look forward to that. Um, mm. Are there ways if you can't attend that you can? Um, yeah, a few people. Yeah, a few people have bought raffle tickets. So if you go on the Facebook page for Sheffield Board Gamers, um, there's a link there to the to the raffle, and you can see what the prizes are and everything. So if you want to buy some tickets, you can uh, you can either PayPal the money across, and we'll put your tickets into the uh, into the pot for you. Um, you can just make a donation if you want as well, and we'll put that into the into the fund. So yeah, check out the uh, check out the Facebook page or have a look on the forum as well, uh, SheffieldBoardGamers.com. Sounds brilliant. Yeah, I'll look forward to hearing how that goes in the next podcast. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it'll be good, and we'll uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me today, then Tom. It's been good, been uh, good talking to you. Great to join you and get a few issues off my chest. Yes. <laughs> so so what we're we going to complain about next week? <laughs> Give me two weeks to find something new. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much for joining me. No problems. Take care. Uh, we'll uh, we'll speak to everybody again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.